1: Welcome into another episode of Collegiate Cast. I'm Sam Ostrilong, Long, Ben Dixon. This is Collegiate Cast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. The Final Four is set. We know it was felt like just yesterday when we were talking about. This is March, March 1st. We're now on the last day of March, recording on March 31st, giving you a Final Four preview that's going to be played this Saturday. Um, And then the championship, obviously, on Monday, and then the college basketball season is over, which we don't want to think about right now, but we're going to give you a complete Final Four preview. We're going to talk about the paths, the teams, how they got there, give you some predictions. We're going to talk about
0: it all. Ben, how are we doing? Doing great. Uh, Like you said, it's kind of weird to think the season's pretty much over after Monday, but ready to get to this Final Four and should be a great one.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely going to be a great one. It's going to be a high, some highly anticipated matchups. Not every day where you have some absolute blue bloods in the final four, and that's obviously the number one storyline is how well respected these programs are, how well respected some of these coaches are, and just it's a final four with absolute blue blood, blue bloods everywhere you look. Obviously, we have Duke, UNC in one side of the final four, and then we have Kansas, Villanova, and it's we're going to start with talking about Duke's path, but it's really remarkable to think that somehow, some way, Duke and UNC. Never played in the final four together. It is or, cra- not in the final four. Never played in the tournament ever.
0: It, it's crazy to think, uh, considering the the magnitude of the rivalry and just the fact that you know they were they were two number. They should have there should have been years where they were both you know one two three seeds and they could have met in the final four of the national championship. Never happened before. Obviously, uh, makes sense going up to this point. But I'm just I'm so excited for this final four four marquee programs like you mentioned. Uh Villanova obviously now turning into kind of a modern blue blood here in college basketball with Jay Wright and then Duke UNC Kansas all historically great. Um this is gonna be awesome and and I really just can't wait for uh for the games this weekend.
1: Yeah, so let's first talk about Duke and their path and how they got there. The entire season, you know, and up until the tournament began, it felt like, you know, this Duke team had what it they had the talent to make a final four run. They had a talent the talent to make a championship run. But time and time again, including that UNC lost at home in Coach K's last ever game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, you know it felt like they didn't have the experience. Um, they were a the very young team. It just felt like they could easily fall apart. They easily could have been an early round exit and, and an early round upset. But we knew they had the talent. And you know it really came down to that round of 32 game against Michigan State, who they beat 85-76. But they were down by five with like just under five minutes to go. And they go explode on a 26-to-run run 20, 20 to 6 run. And that was the moment where like you felt like this Duke, Duke team took the next step. And it's not always that actually in the NCAA tournament you see a, a team mature and grow, but it felt like this wasn't a young, inexperienced team anymore. This was a team that could really win the entire thing. So let's talk about that Michigan State game. Well, just specifically in that 26 run, what did you see from them?
0: Yeah, it just seemed like everything clicked. Uh, all the momentum was on, on Michigan State's side. They were up 70 to 65, with I think 5 10 left in the game. And then it was just a classic, you know, Coach K, master class, 20-6 run to end the game. It seemed like, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but the team really just, just came together. And you talk about peaking at the right time. Something happened in that moment. We're in the huddle. Who knows if, if it was something, you know, uh, off camera that happened there. But the team just completely turned around. It's like we're... Kind of boys became men. Obviously, that, that that that's a cliche saying. But these guys turned into you know prospects into bona fide winners, and it seems like everything just changed in that moment. Um, ended up winning what eighty five to seventy six. Yeah. It wasn't even close at the no. end of that game, and it, it's crazy to think that Tom Izzo almost beat Coach K in what would have been his last game ever, and just everything changed. Uh, Texas Tech was was a great game in the Sweet Sixteen, but they kind of did the same thing in the second half and ran away with it. And then Arkansas was ne- was never really close either. Um, yeah, I, you, I, I wish I could put my finger on it, but yeah. I, well, they also
1: didn't have like they they beat some good teams, you know. They didn't have the most difficult matchup, but that <laughs> in a round of 32 game beating Michigan State team coached by Tom Izzo, obviously two legends matching up, that's not an easy win. And then the, obviously. The big thing is that they they escaped Gonzaga. I think a lot of people didn't have them going to the Final Four because a lot of people thought they're going to match up against Gonzaga, which was obviously the number one overall seed, and mark few another disappointing tournament. Tournament you can almost count that every single season at this point where they're not going to live up to some type of ex- expectation that's created. But that's that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um. They obviously didn't have to run into that into that Gonzaga team, and they beat Arkansas in the Elite Eight, and now here they're on this
0: Final Four. It is crazy. Sometimes the cards just kind of play out, and like uh, a storybook right book
1: ending too. Like assuming they win the whole thing, or even go to the championship, like a, a final four of Coach K's last
0: year. Like and just with it coming against UNC, you, you really can't. It it's, it sounds like a movie script the way it played out. But at the same time, if somehow they lose to UNC now, like is it even like how
1: bad is that? Like if they lose to UNC in the final four after losing to UNC like that you know that's all a lot of UNC fans it's all Duke fans it's not all they care about but that rivalry means everything to them and if they lose to them in their in coach K's final game at home and then they lose to them in coach K's last game ever I mean
0: <laughs> yeah uh it would be bad uh I think it'd be kind of poetic in a way that he would lose to UNC which uh, I don't see happening we'll, we'll predict that later in the show but yeah, it, it would be bad. You've made it this far. You're playing an eight seed in UNC, regardless of the rivalry and how they're playing right now, a game that you're expected to win by a couple possessions. Um, it, it would be bad if they lost that game, uh, without a doubt. Uh, I don't think they will, like I said. But it, it really is just amazing. Kind of like I said, a, a storybook script, uh, avoiding Gonzaga, obviously. I mean, that Elite Eight matchup in San Fran would have been epic, but Like I said, the cards play out the way they did. Uh, That's the beauty of the tournament. Um, UNC played St. Peter's in the lead. I don't think anyone thought that was even a possible matchup. And, uh, yeah, things just just worked out for Duke. And I, I think you're seeing just all six rotation players, the main six rotation players, just kind of playing their best ball at the best time, really just balanced outputs. Pretty much everyone's scoring at double digits per game, and it, it's it's been interesting to see Duke take the next step yeah, in the tournament.
1: Yeah, it is interesting when you have that young of a roster, but everyone's clicking at the right time, and obviously at the most important time, you know you're good. You're gonna make these type of runs, and you're gonna make these magic March moments, and that's what we're seeing right now. But other than Paolo, obviously who's been phenomenal this entire tournament, who's the number one key guy that you need to see that you've seen from on Duke so far, but the one that is gonna take them. Past the final four. Past the final four into to win an entire championship.
0: Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, we talked about guard play so much this year and it's such a big theme in, in college basketball. I think one guy for me is, is Jeremy Roach. He's really emerged as as the guy at point guard there, averaging twelve point eight points per game on over fifty percent shooting this tournament. I mean, there was a month kind of all the way up until the, their final AC tournament game before the tournament from uh, February, where he just didn't play, or he didn't start, excuse me, and he came off the bench, and it kind of felt like the offense was was out of his hands at that point. Now that's totally not the case. He's been in control. He's been so clutch, made his first start back against Cal State Fullerton in the first round. Um, I don't want to say they'll go as far as he takes them because you have players like Paulo, you have Wendell Moores junior, you, A.J. Griffin's going to be a lottery pick, Mark Williams, great prospect. But, I just think the Roach story is, is so interesting to me because a lot of people in the media kind of counted him out uh, yeah. once he did hit the bench in that stretch in February, but now that he's back in the starting lineup, he's really taking control of the offense and and leaving his mark out there. And I think I think he's an absolute X factor for Duke.
1: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say Wendell Moore just because he's the he's the guy that actually has the most experience on or. The, the, one of the best players on the team who has mm. that experience. And you know, a lot of these guys don't even have any tournament experience before this tournament started. So I think, you know, obviously, Paolo's the guy they're going to go to in any big situation. But, you know, Wendo Moore has been phenomenal this tournament. He's averaging almost 14 points per game on 54% shooting. But and that, that's incredibly efficient, obviously. But he, he's the guy that really could, like, when when... Things might get tough when they might be in a very close game. Like you can count on Wendell Moore, and just because of that veteran guard
0: leadership. Yeah, they're going to need him too. It's 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 kind of weird with a guy Excuse like. Excuse me,
1: better, not not guard leadership, but veteran lead, veteran yep, leadership.
0: yep. It, it, it's weird, like with a guy like Moore, because Duke was so bad last year, and he kind of he he stuck through that, and then his his freshman year was was dealing with COVID, and now he's kind of he's been that veteran leader for them now, and like you said, they're going to need him. I, I don't hit that choice as, at all as an X factor.
1: All right, so now let's get to the team that they're going to face. Um, the number eight seed North Carolina Tar Heels. You know, this has been an incredibly inconsistent team all year. They had a very difficult path to make it to this point. Not a lot of people had them. Obviously, as an eight seed, very few people would have them in the Final Four. But people did not think that they had a shot to make this type of run. I certainly didn't. Just because, I, you know, they'd been so inconsistent all year. And, I, and you know, I think Hubert Davis is a great coach. And I think he was the perfect guy to replace Roy Williams. But I don't necessarily think that this anyone thought this UNC team this quickly would make the type of run that they are right now. Obviously, they beat Marquette in the first game, then they upset Baylor, who's the number one seed in that region. They beat, and I had I actually had that I had them beating Baylor, but I thought this UCLA team was going to be in the final four. They beat UCLA by seven, and then obviously they play Saint Peter's, who went on a Cinderella run, highest seed ever to go to the Elite Eight and best they run it. ever. Yeah, but UNC just dominated them from tip to horn. Won by twenty points, it was a phenomenal performance in Philadelphia by UNC. Now they're in the Final Four playing, um, playing Duke. What have you seen from them this tournament? What do they need to continue to do to beat Duke?
0: Well, it's so incredibly fascinating because when UNC was playing Saint Peter's in the Elite Eight, everyone was talking about Saint Peter's, rightfully so, making that crazy run. But I'm also kind of thinking to myself, like a month ago, this UNC team wasn't going to make the tournament. Yeah, they, they had the all bubble. they had all these wins and they were squarely on the bubble, but none of them were quad one until think until they beat Duke. Uh, on the road and everything kind of changed from there. I think it's either nine and one or ten and one in their last eleven games. They've just been playing incredible, incredible basketball, and it's 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 been really just interesting to see this tournament. I think in that round of sixty-four, just absolute demolition of Marquette. You kind of got the vibe that everything changed and yeah. they could have knocked off Baylor. I wasn't one of those sharps to predict that pre-tournament. Um, but again, kind of showing that identity, the Final Four identity. Like Even though they beat St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, this isn't a fluke. Like They beat the defending national no, championship, champions yeah. after blowing a 20-point lead and still kind of overcoming that in overtime, making the Sweet 16. Yeah. A team like UCLA. That feels like so long yeah. ago, but I
1: forgot how crazy that game yeah. is. Where, uh, there was an ejection, a foul out. Everything seemed like it was going against UNC's favor, even when they had that huge lead in the goes to overtime. I completely forgot how great of a game that was. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. It, it yeah, it was a
0: crazy game. And beating UCLA, uh, Caleb Love went absolutely nuts in that second half. He scored thirty against UCLA, and then St. Peter's. I think everyone expected him to win that. that some people wanted the St. Peter's run to continue, but just because they got matched up with a fifteen seed in the Elite Eight, that's not really that's not their fault. Like no, St. Peter's showed, showed you need luck some, in this tournament exactly, to make it run. Exactly, and I just think those first three games from UNC show that they're more than deserving of of what they've done in winning that East region. Regardless, I mean they could have played. 350th best team in college basketball in the Elite Eight, it still would have been deserved. So. I
1: agree. It's who plays the best performance, or who puts their best stretch together in these four games over these two weeks. And eventually, if you want to be in the national championship, it's going to be six games. But, you know, and they've done that. They've been dominant against some good teams, and they've had adversity, and they've bounced back from it in this four-game stretch. And they deserve to be in the Final Four, and they're here. And obviously, they're matched up against Duke. As I said earlier, the first time that these two rivals are ever meeting in the NCAA tournament, Um These guys played twice this year. Duke won handily the first game. This was a different UNC team and a different Duke team back then. But Duke dominated them. Um, Duke was by far the better team. I think, I'm going to ask you this, but I think we're going to see more of that than we are of the second time these two teams played, which was Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor. UNC completely spoiled. And I think that was, I don't think that was the Duke team that we were going to see moving forward. I don't think that's the Duke team that we're going to see um, this Saturday, because that Duke team looked tight. They looked like they were nervous out there mm-hmm. because they were. There was every alumni, almost every alumni, <laughs> played for Coach K was in the building. It was more it was, of a celebration. Yeah, than ex- game. yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. And so I think I think you're gonna see more of a Duke team that doesn't have those nerves, isn't playing for coach K or for something bigger than any anything than go to the national championship and win a national title. So I think you're going to see a much different version of Duke than we saw the last time they played UNC and I expect Duke to win handily. I know the line and we're going to get to the predictions later, but just real quick before we do, what do you think what are the early impressions of a Duke UNC matchup?
0: Yeah, I think I think it'll be competitive. Um no, I don't think it will be but I, I think what can be said about Duke is the same thing that can be said about UNC, obviously not to the same level of what they thought both teams were going to be, but UNC is also hitting their stride too. It's, 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 it's a two way street in that sense. And I think UNC is, is playing like a top 15 team in the country right now. And it's on a neutral floor against the biggest rival in school history. And it, I I think it'll be a really competitive game. Uh, I know you think it, it'll be a lot. I'm sure you're not alone in that sense. I think UNC is going to give them a big run for their money. Um, but it's going to take, obviously, an A game to knock off Duke in the Final Four with everything that they have on their side. But they have a guy like like Brady Manik, who's been one of the best players in the tournament, scoring almost 22 points per game, shooting 47% from three. Caleb Love, like I said, went nuts against UCLA. Armando, Armando Baycott, excuse me, was one of the best players in the conference. But I think it, it might come down to an X factor like R.J. Davis, who's been averaging 14 points a game this tournament. He's been one of North Carolina's best guards in their backport, backcourt with Caleb Love, excuse me. But he's shooting 28.6% in this tournament. You, you no, can't you can't percent. have, and he's averaging over 12 shots per game. You can't have that type of volume with that type of efficiency if you're going to beat Duke in the Final Four.
1: Yeah, and the first time these two teams played and Duke won by 20 points, AJ Griffin went off for 27 points. He was a huge factor. If he can replicate that type of performance, I think Duke's going to be in good shape. And when I say blow, I don't necessarily mean like they're going to win by 20 points. I don't even know if they're going to win by double digits. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a blowout. But I think that Duke's going Duke's gonna to be... Clearly the better team. They're going to be in control for most of the game. And maybe UNC keeps it close in, in the end. But I expect a 7-10 to 10 point victory uh, for Duke. And then we'll get into more of the predictions and, and that matchup in a minute. But let's get to the next team now that's that's in the Final Four. And that'll be Vill- the Villanova Wildcats. Another team that we knew had the championship talent to make a Final Four run. And eventually a national championship run if they do that. But it just it felt like, number one, they had a very difficult... Um, region, you didn't know if they were gonna win that. Re- you didn't know if they were gonna come out on top. Who was gonna? Anything that was gonna happen. But more importantly, they had no depth. That was our biggest concern that we've talked we about, talked this about podcast all podcast all all the time. The depth isn't there, and you need great depth to win in the tournament, or so we thought. But Villanova hasn't needed that depth because they've just been dominant. Jay Wright is the greatest coach in the country. It's it's not even a question anymore. You saw that. Like, people were saying it as, as it was some debate after they made the Final Four again. Before this year, it wasn't a debate. Jay Wright is the best coach in the country, and there's not even anyone who's close to second. Um, who, or whoever's second is not doesn't even come close to Jay Wright. He's the best recruiter. He's the best coach. He's the best overall CEO of a college basketball program that there is in this country. And now he's in his third Final Four since 2016, seeking his third national championship since 2016, which is just remarkable in of, in of itself. But... What do you what you take away from this entire Villanova run? And we can talk more about the depth and and how the depth is really going to hurt them in the Kansas matchup because obviously Justin Moore in the final thirty five seconds of that last game, awful that win over Houston, he tore his Achilles. He was the second best player on this team, and he was averaging thirteen points per game. He's now out for the season.
0: Yeah, I think you make a great point about Jay Wright, and to me that wasn't that wasn't really a debate. Um, Right after he won a second national title in three seasons, it's just he's—I think you make a great point of him being the best CEO of a college basketball program because in the mold of that Villanova program, it has it all. And my biggest takeaway, uh, Brandon Quinn from the Athletic, wrote a great article on it, kind of reminding him of the, the two thousand nine Villanova team that broke through. This team, it it doesn't have you know some of the best star power in the country. It doesn't have some of the most electric players in the country, but it's just the mold of the style they play, the type of character players they have, and the ability to have a breakthrough start like Jermaine Samuels in this year's tournament who's averaging, you know, six more points in the tournament than he was than he has been throughout the whole season, excuse me. That has really made Villanova a really dangerous threat. With that said, the depth is a in a major, major issue now that Justin Moore is hurt. We talked about Gillespie, when he kind of tweaked his ankle, I think against one in one of the Providence yeah. games earlier in the season. Like, who do you have to step up when he goes out? You know, we don't really trust Chris Archibald and you know, Brian Antoine to give you give you minutes. And now we have that issue with Justin Moore. Uh, Brandon Slater is going to have to enter the starting lineup. He has not really been good in this tournament, only averaging one point three points per game. Um, and inconsistent on the year. Inconsistent. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on on what they can do with the depth because well, for, before we talk about the depth. I think Kong
1: Gillespie deserves more credit from us because, you know, he's not necessarily Ryan archie no. He's not Jalen Brunson, but obviously he had a season-ending injury last year. He decided to come back. It's his last year of college eligibility. Mm-hmm. He is as Villanova of a point guard as you can find. He has that Villanova DNA that, like, every college basketball program talks about wanting culture, wanting to have find the right guys who embody your culture and your mentality, and so few have it. Or so few consistently have it, but this Villanova team does, and it starts with their leaders that are often their point guards. And it's con- Colin Gillespie has been phenomenal all season, all Big East tournament, all NCAA tournament. He deserves all the credit in the world for getting this team to where they are right now. And you know, I don't know if he's going to finish the deal and be a national champion, champion point guard like Archie Diacono was, like John Brunson was, but he is as Villanova point guard as they've had in those last few years, and he deserves a ton of credit.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the point of the National Championship point guard, it's you put a little asterisk next to it because you don't have Justin Moore and that's a, oh, that's, a, that's such not. a huge yeah. part of what Villanova does. No. I think I think you're 100% right about Gillespie and he deserves all the credit in the world for for bringing Villanova to this point. He talked about the mole with the program and he's just he's the perfect Villanova guy. Yeah. To, perfect just Jay Wright point guard and uh, you have to love what you've seen from him this year, whether he explodes for, for 30 points in a win or whether he only scores 10 and makes positive impacts in other ways. With that said, he's going to need to play better oh, in the Final Four than he has in this tournament. I think he only scored he's six points against Houston. He's only shooting 33% from the field in the tournament. You need him to be great. Yeah,
1: he's going to need, need to be great, and that was going to be my next point, is that you need everyone to be great. If is going to win this game, and they're only underdogs by four, from the four and a half, excuse me, Kansas is favored by, but if is going to win this game, It needs to be their best performance of the season, and they need to be near perfect. We saw this Kansas team trailing by six in the Elite 8 to Miami at halftime, and they just dominated the second half. They won the game by 20-plus points. Mm -hmm. They dominated the second half, and they just wore Miami down. And obviously, this Villanova team isn't Miami, but this Villanova team is going to be trying to play five guys as much as possible, because they you can't... Put Chris Argidiacano into a Final Four game after giving him very few minutes throughout the year, throughout the tournament. How are you going to trust him to handle Kansas' pressure? How are you going to trust him to consistently knock down shots? This Villanova team is going to have to have one of their best three-point shooting performances of the season to in this Final Four to beat Kansas. And uh, the biggest thing is they're going to have to stay out of foul trouble completely. Mm-hmm. If Jay Wright has to go into the, his bench, and he knows it, Kansas knows it, everyone watching that game knows it, if Jay Wright has to go deep into his bench then they have no shot in this game. And it's going to have to be a near-perfect performance. And is that possible from Jay Wright's team? It's certainly possible. If there's anyone who I think can get his team ready to play a near-perfect performance, it's Jay Wright and Villanova basketball. But yeah, like, how could I possibly predict that that's going to happen?
0: Yeah, it'd be really hard to predict that, and you make a great point about playing five guys at once. Eric Dixon has had a pretty solid tournament. He's been phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, But he's only, in his last 10 games, he's only played 30-plus minutes once. There was a stretch before the tournament where he was playing less than 20 minutes a game with with a six-man rotation. And this is his
1: first real season playing significant minutes, who will know.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into the matchup later, but David McCormick is a guy who can really tire him out, give him a hard time on both ends of the floor. So you're going to need the best game of his career. And he's
1: been their guy as a, as a big. If he's in foul trouble, where do you even go? You know, if you go small against this Kansas team, they're going to destroy you. I, I don't know. So, it's, it's, so there's not a lot of options. And then you talked about, we talked about Chris Archie, I that you know, we don't really trust him a lot. You talked about Brian Antoine. And, you know, you just mentioned Brendan Quinn, who had a great piece in The in the Athletic about Brian, about, um what do you have a great piece about? Oh, the 2009, 2009 build Team. Yeah. Yep. Well, he also had a phenomenal piece about Brian Antoine, about how highly of recruit he was coming in, how he was the guy in high school, complete, had a bunch of injuries, shoulder injuries, other injuries we don't even know about, and he's not, he wasn't in the rotation pretty much at all this year, and he's completely fallen off. Like he, like, there was a quote in it that he's really just, like, his development in terms of his, how he knows the playbook and how he knows the system, is really that of a freshman, even though he's, he's a junior, he's supposed to be a junior, he's going to get an opportunity, you know, maybe he finally breaks through, yeah. maybe, like, this is his, his moment and his homecoming, but like it's hard to trust that Brian Antoine is gonna be like the guy that pushes Nova over the edge in this one.
0: Right. It, I think looking at past years in the tournaments and teams that have won, I think the perfect example is, is Duke when Grayson Allen kind of broke through out of nowhere as a that was, freshman that was and, the and national champion. Yeah, and yeah. and and had a great national championship game. You're gonna you're gonna need I like I just don't think you beat this Kansas team playing the five that you have with with Slater being in the starting five and playing 35 minutes or so per game. Could it be Chris Archer Diacono that kind of breaks through and has his best college game? Well, he could I, hit I, three I, don't, I don't think so, but he can.
1: Yeah, yeah, he could hit three threes, and I'll be watching on the couch, shocked. But like, it's possible he could do that, and it, it could be his moment. Obviously, his brother was the guy. He's not even close to the player his brother is, but you know, he he could go in there and hit. Go three for four from three. And if he goes, he goes, he he does that, Villanova's going to be in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's get into the team that they're going to be playing before we predict these matchups, even though it seems like we've already given our prediction the entire way. But let's talk about the South Region champions, number one seed Kansas Jayhawks, the team I had winning the entire thing, and it's not going to be changing, but it's the team I had winning the entire thing before the tournament. Um, they beat Texas Southern easily in game one. You know, Had a back-and-forth game with Creighton, obviously ended up getting the 7-point win. Then they had a Sweet 16 game against Providence, which a lot of players on the Kansas team really struggled against. It was the only game in, this, in the four games in this tournament where Kansas didn't score 70 points or above. They won 66-61 to in a hard-fought game of uh, Providence. And then Miami in the Elite 8, they trailed by 6 at halftime, and they won 76-50. to I mean, that's as dominant as the second half as you could possibly play. Probably their best half of basketball that they played all season and it came at the perfect time in the Elite Eight. Now they find themselves in the Final Four matched up against Villanova and Jay Wright. And Bill Self and Jay Wright, they played played in the Final Four once before um, in 2018, where obviously the year Villanova won the National Championship. Villanova obviously then Jay Wright beat Bill Self in that Final Four. But here they are again. Um, what, what have you made of Kansas's run and how it's going to set them up for the, for the next two games?
0: Yeah, I'm really impressed. Uh, I wasn't a huge believer in Kansas like you were, just because as good as Ochai o- was, excuse me, um, during the regular season, I think averaged 18 points a game somewhere in that ballpark. It didn't really feel like they had the star power to win a national championship outside of him, and he has. He's I think he's averaging less than five points or below five points of his regular season average in the tournament, but. That's fine when you have a guy like Remy Martin, who was the Big 12 preseason player of the year, coming over star. from Arizona State, was injured, didn't really do anything all year. And he has just been excellent in this tournament. And it, it, it's been great to see um, from and, him, if you're a Kansas fan, and, and just his contributions are what kind of make national championship teams burn. He, I mean, yeah. great guard play. He's, and, he's been great. And just a quick point about both those guys. You know, Ajabai... He really
1: struggled in the Providence game. He only had five points and he played thirty-six minutes, and that was obviously their toughest. That was their toughest test. We only got a five-point victory against Providence. But it was Remy Martin who had seventeen, who had twenty-three points in just twenty-seven minutes in that Providence game. He was the hero in that game. He was phenomenal when a lot of other players on Kansas seriously struggled. Christian Braun struggled against. Providence, you know, a lot of guys struggled, and, and Remy Martin broke through. But then Ajabai completely bounces back in Miami game. He has 18 points, 66% shooting from the field, and he, he knocked down two threes on two attempts. So he bounced back. You know, I think, yeah, his average is down, but it's really just because of that Providence game. Mm-hmm. He really struggled. I don't, I expect him to have success against Villanova.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all, But but to me, I just think... It's like Remy Martin's becoming a star that you didn't have yeah. during the regular no, season, yeah, and that's right. that's just a huge, huge addition. And that's really been my my number one takeaway. And Kansas can run deeper than Villanova does oh, without yeah. it, without a doubt. I mean, it's it's a really strong five when you're putting out Remy Martin, Baji, Braun, Wilson, and McCormick, and like DeJuan Harris has been starting, but he's not playing starter minutes uh, as as Remy Martin is. Then you have guys even deeper on the bench like Mitch Lightfoot, Jalen Coleman, Lands, guys that aren't going to change the game, but they're extra bodies to have in a game where Villanova's not going to have, and it's it's a big advantage to me.
1: Yeah, and you know, talk about Remy Martin, how deep they are. He hasn't played over thirty minutes once this entire tournament. Like he only played twenty four against Miami, he only played twenty seven against Providence, and still has been, and then twenty nine against Creighton. He's still been incredibly productive, though. So that just speaks to how many, how how deep they can go, and how many guys Bill Self Bill Self can rely on which is a vast different than what we just talked about with Jay Wright and Villanova and how he really can only trust five guys mm-hmm. on the floor for this upcoming game. Yep. All right, so now we're just going to predict the matchups. We're going to get into them. We've been talking about them the entire way. Um, you know, we have Kansas and Villanova. Let's get to that one first. Kansas is favored by four and a half. That's going to be a six oh nine game on TBS on Saturday. It's the first game of the two. Uh, what do you think... You know what do you think? How what do you think this matchup is going to come down to? Who do you think is going to win? And then pick it against the number four and a half.
0: I think I kind of alluded to it before. Just with the the depth of Villanova, you're going to need an absolute vintage con Glassby. game. I'm talking probably somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 30 oh, yeah. points against Villanova against Kansas. Excuse me, if he is on his absolute A game, and you get guys like Eric Dixon to play a perfect game, not getting in foul trouble, not getting bothered by Kansas's bigs. I think those are the two keys for me, because when you talk about not having depth and Eric Dixon not playing 35 minutes a game in this tournament, he needs to stay on the floor. He needs to be kind of in a rhythm, and he can't let a guy like David McCormick or Mitch Lightfoot, who will come off the bench, bother him, because those are two ultra-experienced bigs. Mm-hmm. I think Mitch Lightfoot's been there for six years, McCormick has been there for I think he's a senior. Um, so that that's another interesting key to me. I think the X factor in this game is, or not the X factor, but if Colin Gillespie explodes, Bill Nova has a real shot despite not having Justin Moore. Um, if I had um, if I had to make a prediction, I would say Kansas by five, as good as Jay Wright is. Um, I think Bill Self is also right up there with, with some of the best coaches in basketball. And I think he's got all hands on deck right now. Uh, Remy Martin, like I said, kind of emerging as this star for Kansas. We knew he could do it at Arizona State. Haven't seen it this year at Kansas. We're seeing it now. So I just think uh, Kansas is depth, uh, star power, um, and I just think they're going to tire Villanova out. If, if one guy gets in trouble for Villanova, be it Gillespie, Dixon, Samuels, who just had an unbelievable tournament, it's it's not going to be yes. good for them.
1: Yeah, we didn't really mention uh, Jermaine Samuels that much, but he's been phenomenal too. Um, you know, you talk, we talk a lot about. If Villanova gets in foul trouble, you know they're they're done. You know if you have to go deep into Villanova's bench, Kansas is going to win this game handily. But at the same time, Villanova is really great at getting to the free throw line, and once they're there, the best in the country, best free throw shooting team in the country. Like that, that could also be a very key factor because they're going to try to force Kansas' hand and put them in foul trouble. So I think it could be a game. I, I'm I'm not going to say it's going to be a free throw game, but it could be a game where there's a lot of walking back and fourth from the free throw line in that second half. But if that does happen, that favors Kansas, even mm-hmm. even though Villanova is the best foul-shooting team in the entire country. I, I kind of agree with you where I think Colin is going to get— he has to go off, and I think he might. And I think you're going to see a great— I don't think you're going to see a bad Villanova performance. I think they're going to keep this game close. But I think when it's said and done, Kansas is going to have the, more of the depth, and then their guys aren't going to have to play 35-plus minutes. Like Jay Wright and th- their team knows he's playing Kong Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, Eric Dixon. If he can, 35-plus minutes to try to get to that. Everything, everything is going to be left on the floor to try to get to that national championship game. And I think at the end, Kansas is just going to wear Villanova down. I actually think Villanova covers. Um, I think they cover the 4.5. I think Kansas wins by 3. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game right up until the, the very end. But I just think Kansas is too deep too strong. I think it's Bill Self. You know, you talk about how great of a coach Bill Self is. I think it's Bill Self's year. I think they get it done. I think Kansas wins this game, and they eventually win the national title, but for now, I think Kansas wins by three.
0: Yeah, it's hard hard to disagree there. I just think, full disclosure, I think if Justin Moore was playing, Bill Nova would be my Oh, pick. my, my. He, he
1: is... The fact that the line is only four 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 and a half without him, and he's their second lot. best player. Or maybe, maybe not second <laughs> best player, maybe it's been Jermaine Samuels' this tournament, but he's their second most important player. He argues he's their most talented player. Absolutely. Too. And it's not just that, it's when he's out, it's that they have such little depth that when he's out, their depth weakens even more. So I think Justin I think Justin Moore makes all the difference in the world, and there's no doubt about it. I this game would be completely different. I would pick it completely different if he was playing.
0: Yeah, I just think there's too many things going wrong for Villanova in that sense, and just so many things going right for Kansas with with Remy Martin. And if if Bill Self can win his national title. Uh, Win the national title this year, excuse me. It gives them two, and it puts them kind of in that that rare air with with all the greats in college basketball history.
1: Did you do you have a pick four and a half?
0: I'm gonna go Kansas by five. Okay, so, so you think yeah. they are just gonna cover? You think I, the I think I think, I think the world? I think it'll I think it'll be a, a, I think it's a pretty sharp line. Yeah, no, I think, I, 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 think I, I think I think it'll be a very competitive game, and okay. I think I think four and a half is pretty spot on.
1: So Ben is Kansas by five. I have Kansas by three. You know, there's there's nothing more I hate than betting against and picking against Jay Wright but I just don't think they get it done this year. I think it's been a phenomenal run to get to the Final Four, and now without Justin Moore, the run is over.
0: Yeah, it's it's not anything against Jay Wright either. No, I mean, we just called him the greatest coach in the world.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's hard to bet against him, even when all the cards are stacked up against him. But I'm going to go. We're both going Kansas. All right, so the next game of the night, we've been talking about it all, all show, 849 game, also on TBS, UNC versus Duke. The rivalry, the greatest rivalry in college basketball, Maybe one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports. That sports that has never met up in the NCAA tournament. Where they're now going to meet up in the final four. Duke is favored by four, according to DraftKings. Who do you like in this matchup, and who do you like against the spread?
0: Yeah, I like Duke. Um, Duke in the matchup. I think no, I think I like Duke against the spread too. I haven't really thought too much about it. I just think. If Duke is playing their A game, they're going to win by more than four points. As mm-hmm. competitive as it is, I think this could be a two, maybe even three possession game. Um, I'm going to say Duke by seven. I just think it's it's Coach K's year in his final year. I know Kansas is going to be your national championship pick. Duke is going to be mine. Uh, Duke right now uh, ranked number one in offensive adjusted efficiency per, per Kempom, and that's just really a product of how well they've played in the tournament. And just guys like Paolo, guys like Wendell Moore – Guys like Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams has been a force down, though. I'm really intrigued to see that matchup versus Armando ba- Armando Baycott, um, who I think finished second in ACC Player of the Year, voting to Wake Forest's Landis yeah. Williams. I think that's going to be the key matchup in this game, Baycott versus Williams. But I just think when you have a guy like Paolo, who has played himself into arguably the number one pick in the NBA draft, yeah. uh, I, th- I think he will be at this point. Um, Would have been interesting to see if Auburn made a run or Gonzaga, but obviously that's out the window now. I just think Duke, too much talent. North Carolina, great run. Also a ton of talent. But I just think Duke kind of avenges that loss at home uh, to North Carolina in Coach K's last game. No. And Duke by seven. No, I completely agree. Um, I would be I would be stunned
1: if Duke lost this game. I truly would be stunned. I don't get how the line is just four. I'm picking Duke to win. I'm picking them to win by eight points. I think they cover the four. Like, I don't... Like, we just talked about how deep Duke is, and they are incredibly deep. A.J. Griffin, too. Like I said earlier in the show, when Duke beat UNC earlier the season by 20 points, A.J. Griffin went off for 27. They have so many do- guys who are capable of getting you a bucket at any time, any crucial time. We saw that against Michigan State when they trailed by five. You know, the most adversity they really hit this year, when they or this tournament, when they trailed by five uh, with under five minutes to go against against a, great, a really good, not great, but really good and tough Michigan State opponent. So I, I just think this team is too deep, too many guys that can give you a bucket at any moment. And I think, you know, it's a story like... I'm picking Kansas to win, but it's still a storybook ending for Coach K if he makes the national title in his final year, you know. And if and it's the opposite of a storybook ending, even if they make the final four, but he loses to UNC. And a lot of people hate Duke, a lot of people hate Coach K, but you have to respect the greatness that the, you just have to respect the greatness. And I think that they just they just they're gonna get it done. They're gonna win handily, and I I would be shocked if somehow they don't avenge that that loss at Cameron Indoor Stadium, which was Coach K's last game, it, it would really be embarrassing for Duke and Duke fans. And I don't know how they could even show up at games. I don't know how they could show up for John Shire. I don't know how they could have a conversation with any UNC fan. It would be unbearable.
0: It's just that the narratives in this game, it, it's probably my favorite narrative game I've ever, like, I mean, it's not every day. Prep watching in, in college Absolutely. basketball history. And, you could argue that Roy Williams could make the narrative even greater. I, I might disagree. Uber, nah. Hubert Davis, in his first year as a head coach, making the final four the only one of so many coaches to do that. Absolutely, he kind of changed the philosophy of UNC, turned the season around when it was dead in the water. If they lost a pit at home, it's there's just but there's so many it's not good not narratives. every day
1: when you have maybe the greatest, col- maybe the greatest basketball coach of all time in what he claims to be his last season ever. He makes the final four. He's playing his all-time rival, where he lost. Earlier this season, in his last game at home, to them, like the story, the story literally writes itself. It doesn't
0: get any better, and I don't think I think all three options whether they lose to UNC, whether they beat Kansas or Villanova, lose to Kansas Villanova are going to be incredibly you know, you could write a book about it no matter what.
1: Absolutely, and so we both have Duke winning, we both have them covering, so we're going to have a Duke Kansas national title game. That game we played on Monday night. It's usually a late start time. I don't have it exactly, but it's probably around 9 o'clock.
0: Yeah, 9.20, I think, something like yeah, that.
1: And that'll be on CBS, I believe. So 9-something nine, nine start time, Duke-Kansas is what our predictions are. Who's your national title?
0: It's it's going to be Duke. I just think the star power for Duke is overwhelming when you talk about NBA talent um, compared to Kansas. Obviously, that doesn't decide a college basketball game. But throw out, throw out the word NBA talent – Talent in general, I just think Duke is going to overwhelm Kansas with just how many different weapons they can come at you with. Obviously, Kansas can too, with a guy like Christian Braun who can break through. Um, like O-Chai could have a big game, excuse me, McCormick could go for for 15 uh, on a night. But I, I just think Duke is, is too good and too talented at this point. They're really the epitome of peaking at the right time, as is Kansas, but I think with Duke, you saw the ups and downs a little bit more throughout the regular season. The losses to my the loss to Miami at home, the loss to Virginia at home, the loss at Florida State. They've kind of just moved past those. They've matured through the tournament, as Coach K kind of said. You don't really see that every day. And uh, I'm just not going to bet against the the storybook ending, as you said. I I, I just think it's yeah, it's too good to be true. No, it's hard.
1: It's hard to pick against Duke, and you know Duke literally has destiny written all over it. And Paolo's obviously the best player. He'll be the best player in this final four. He's the best player if Duke and Kansas meet up I think he's the number 1 overall pick he would he certainly would be mine he's phenomenal and there's no question about the star power that Duke has I just you know it's hard like it's hard to pick against Duke it really is but Kansas is my pick before the tournament You've it's with that. so hard to go away from that I felt like this was Bill Self's year the entire since the beginning of the tournament it feels like it's going to work out that way and I think Kansas Bigs can wear down Duke's Bigs, and it would be it'll be a phenomenal game if those two meet up. It'll be a great game, and you know we see storybook endings in sports all the time, and it feels like that could be the case. So it's hard to pick against Duke and Coach K, but I I, I'm picking Kansas, and it'll be interesting to see what that line would be. It couldn't be more than one or two in either direction.
0: Well, uh, did you have Duke over? Or excuse me, did you have Kansas over Gonzaga in the national championship? I did, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I most most braggers. I, I did a lot of brackets. My official one was Kansas over Gonzaga, and that was my national. Yeah, I game.
0: didn't, I didn't have a single Final Four team, right? Really, so I'll let it stand for the record. I, <laughs> I had Gonzaga over Arizona, and then I also had uh, Purdue and Iowa making the Final Four. So I I'm a fool, and, and I, I will never be picking the Big Ten again in any tournament. Oh so. uh, yeah, well, I got, until they
1: prove me wrong, I got fooled by. Um, probably had Purdue doing, doing doing pretty well. I had Kansas, no, nah, I had, uh, Iowa losing to Kansas eventually. Oh, I had Wisconsin going pretty far. At least the Elite Eight. <laughs> the Big Ten just blew it again. Big Ten this again. again. What are you going to say? All right, um, should we talk about the Kevin Willard hire really quick to finish the show? Yeah, why we not? Have, we, 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 we got, we got the Maryland
0: it. fan base. We'll talk about it a little bit. Um, I'll start with my thoughts. Uh, at the beginning, I, I, I didn't think it was it was a good fit. I, I think you had a search firm just to hire the obvious guy all along. didn't really make too much sense for me. I think he killed his press conference other than calling Juan Dixon, Jawan Dixon, which was... An interesting move there, but I, I I think he's been he's been killing it so far. He's been out on the recruiting trail. Uh, the, all the reviews have been positive, and it, it's it's honestly hard not to like any coach in their first couple of days with the team. But I think I think the more and more it settles in, the more I realize this is probably a good fit for round basketball. It's just the, the timing of it stunk after they lost to TCU. Yeah. Excuse me, losses. as an understatement. Yeah, destroyed by to, TCU yeah. in the first round of the tournament. Then they hire him a few days later. But. All in all, long term, I think this is something that could work out for Maryland. Even though Willard doesn't have, you know, the postseason success, harder to succeed at Seton Hall. You could argue. I think that's definitely true. Uh, it, it's hard not to like what he's done so far, but I'd like to see him on the court first and see the product he puts out in, in the first at least couple of seasons before I make an overall judgment.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I like. I've been very indifferent the entire time because I don't want, I don't think Maryland fans should destroy this hire immediately and a lot of people are inclined to do so even though he had a great opening press conference a lot of people are inclined to do so oh he's a similar version of turgeon if you come in already not liking this guy and already thinking he's not going to do a good job he's going to be set up for failure you know give him a give him a chance you know he turned around a scene hall program he had a lot of success there you know i'm not saying it's going to be a home run higher i'm not saying it's going to be a bad hire. but you have to give kevin weller a chance and and let him see what he can do on the recruiting trail you know he had he has no DMV connections. He hired two coaches already with a ton of DMV connections that are going to be great on the recruiting trail, two phenomenal hires. And that's something Damon Evans talked about throughout the process is if we don't get a guy who has that DMV connection, he needs his staff needs to be built around people who have DMV connections because they need to start recruiting again in Maryland. That you know that's where it starts. Like you can go to Philadelphia, you can go to New York, you can go anywhere in the country, but you need to you need to win your home state. And if you don't win your home state on the recruiting trail, you're not going to have a lot of success. So he got those guys on his staff that can help recruiting or help recruit Maryland guys and guys around the DMV area. But other than that, you know, you have to you have to give him the chance. Yeah, maybe he doesn't have the postseason success at Seton Hall, but Seton Hall isn't Maryland. It won't have the resources. Mm-hmm. You know, allegedly, uh, apparently he's going to have a, a brand new basketball facility that the funding, that there's been funding for or the funding has finally been been shovel, shovel for, in the ground. April
0: one twenty three. They're saying, right?
1: I, I guess. I haven't heard an exact date, but I, I guess. And you know, who knows when that thing we built will be? Long after we're gone, but it'll be three, four years from now. Eventually, you'll have a practice facility. It's something to sell. The fact that they're even building it. So who, who knows what the future is going to hold? Who knows what the success will have? But Maryland fans need to give them a shot. Because if you already come in hating this guy, rooting for his rooting for his failure. And it's not gonna happen in year one. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been on the recruiting trail, we know he's looking trying to get as many transfers as possible coming in, coming in, but you have to give him a chance beyond year one and in the future.
0: Of course. And I think I think a point you mentioned about the Maryland fans kinda of bashing it right away. I think you're seeing a lot of those fans kinda of turn one eighty a little bit and kinda of liken up yeah. to the higher based off the early results. And he was so, and he say, was
1: the guy, like when the second Turgeon was fired everywhere you looked like okay who could replace him? Kevin was the guy so yeah I get your point about the coaching cert the coaching search firm maybe it wasn't necessarily necessary but like they went with the obvious choice and I don't get how you could kill that no you can't kill that can you
0: know you can't and we'll see um, obviously the, the college basketball season ending this weekend on Monday it's kind of kind of hard to believe we're already at this point It is. Um, <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll come with you to you guys with some episodes maybe some transfer portal updates. Hopefully spring some football, maybe. Though. Hopefully some interviews. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be working on guests. And just thank you guys for listening this season.
1: All right, yep. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Collegiate Chaos Podcast on Test Two Times Podcast Network, and we'll talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.